This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Uh, let me start by just praying for us. God, thank you. Thank you that you love your children. Thank you that you um, have sworn not to destroy the world with a flood and also not to be angry with those who stand in Christ. Um, We are foolish, I am foolish, and regularly don't believe the good things you say about who I am. And we just need your help as we look at this chapter and and you say some, some beautiful and some wonderful things about who we are and about who you are. I pray that your spirit would make that real uh, and give us true faith um, to trust what you have said about your people. Help us with that this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, this is, I feel like, so this is one of those good chapters where it ends with uh, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And so we're gonna, we're gonna start at the end and then say, okay, well, well what is, what is the heritage of the servants of the Lord? And um, heritage is not, uh, I mean, I don't use that in, in normal conversation. I, don't, I can't say, you could you control F all my conversations in teams and you wouldn't find heritage probably. Um, heritage, so I, had to, so I had to look it up and I, uh, uh, there, one of the definitions is the, the status acquired by a person through birth or a birthright. The status acquired by us through birth. And, you know, we can, we could kind of get into the details of this, but it's the, it's the servants of the Lord have this like newfound status. Uh, They have, uh, that's, that's been acquired by, uh, by, by the new birth. You know, we have the new Testament to kind of layer all these things in, but, but in reality as, uh, as a Christian, uh, that's why we use the phrase born again or uh, we're united to Christ. The, Jesus describes it as, uh, as a new birth, as this idea that we've died with him as his servants, as servants of the Lord. Uh, we've died with him. And so now we're resurrected to new life or in a, in a new birth. And so because in Christ, we now have this, we have this new status where we are given this heritage and it's interesting, uh, through the book of Isaiah, we've been, for the last uh, 13 chapters, there's been a lot of inklings about the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord. And sometimes that's like Israel. Like, it's, it's, it's said with a singular, like a, a servant, but it's speaking of uh, the, the broader people of God. And most recently, we went through Isaiah 53 last week. We were talking specifically about Jesus, like the capital T, capital S, the servant of God. And so this is the first time in 15 chapters that it shifts to plural. And I think what Isaiah is trying to communicate to us is we as we kind of walked through all the things that Jesus accomplished over the last few chapters, 
in the next line, after all of Jesus' suffering and being wounded for our transgressions and, and all this language about his atonement for us and, and all these things about everything that the servant, that Jesus has done, the first line of chapter 54 is like, sing. <laughs> Get excited. <laughs> and it has a couple of images that we'll walk through. Uh, but it's, but it, it's this chapter. Chapter 54 is kind of like an... Uh, uh, this poetic exclamation point since the servant has done all these things now the servants plural have received a heritage have, have like a new status have, have, have received things that they wouldn't have had in their old life now that the, the servant has accomplished all these things the servants plural now receive all of these things so that's this, this chapter is like transitioning into sort of like the, the, what, the result of everything that Jesus has done over the last few chapters. And so, so then that kind of begs the question, uh, because old things like this, uh, Isaiah is uh, confusing. Uh, and in large part, that's why I was wanted to study it in the first place. So I was like, because this is confusing. I don't understand what these 66 chapters are all about. Um, and it started in a small group with uh, a little book uh, with you and Daniel, and then just kind of tumbled on from there. So here we are four years later, which uh, and this at the end of this year, we'll finish Isaiah. So uh, that's been quite a journey to get to the end of Isaiah. But we're in this section, and this is, you, you just had sort of like the, the climax of everything that the servant did, and the, the transition goes into now our heritage as the servants of the Lord, our, our status, the things that we receive through the new birth. And so there's a handful of things and uh, we're going to walk through them. There's four. I don't have a slide with all four, but the first one is the promise of God. Now that we are, now that Jesus has accomplished what he's accomplished, God has given us a promise Let's look at what it says. Uh, I'll just read a few verses from, from the beginning of Isaiah 54. It gives this image, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. And it speaks about enlarging the place of your tent, enlarging the place of your tent. And I, um, I couldn't help but think of the giant tent that Josh brought to... <laughs> It was like a condo in tent form. Um, so, <laughs> um, or even uh, Tim, when he did the, like brought his truck and it became a, a full kitchen with a refrigerator, you know, like, it, but the, that, that's not the, the images of tents is like, these are, uh, this is hearkening back even to Genesis. Where, or, where Noah's son says that will enlarge the tent of one of his sons and, and everyone will sort of dwell within that tent. Because th this nomadic people like lived in tents, uh, not the kind you get at REI, but like a little bit more extravagant than that. And so when he says, when he talks about someone who is barren, he's talking about someone who doesn't have any offspring and he, and he switches to this idea of the growing of our tents. This is God saying, look, the community that I'm building is only going to expand because of what the servant has done. The community that I'm building is just going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. 
I like some of the imagery here. Um, do not hold back. Lengthen your cord and strengthen your stakes. Like make this thing as big as possible. Spread that tent out. Make sure those stakes are in there. We're going to fill this thing up. There's this idea that the, the, the community that I'm building is going to be huge. And then he says, and your offsprings will possess the nations. And your offspring will possess the nations. This is even kind of connecting back to some things with Abraham. It says, kings will come from you in the promise. And there's this idea that God is promising to his servants to possess the nations. This is a promise from God because of what Jesus has accomplished. The, the servants of Yahweh will in the end have ultimate success over the entirety of God's creation. God's people will possess the world. <laughs> and I, it's interesting, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but most of us, if we grew up in the church, there are different ways to um, explain that. You know, is that now, to what degree, how, the future, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and just the new creation, but, but it's, I think the, the, the emphasis here and the emphasis that I want to make is that God is ultimately promising the success of his servants worldwide. That's what we get. That's the heritage. That is your status as a servant of God. Born again in Christ. That's your status is to have ultimate worldwide success of what God, in, in and through what God is doing. He's promising that. He goes on. So what do we get? What's our heritage? What's our status? <laughs> He says, the promise of God is one of the things we get to possess the nations, like worldwide success of the community of God. It will only expand. It will only grow. He tries to encourage us then in light of that promise in verse four. He says, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. You will not be ashamed you will not be disgraced. If we genuinely believe that God has given us to this in and through the new birth, in and in through Christ Jesus, that he has promised to make the church ultimately successful, we don't have to worry about it slipping up. We don't have to worry about its reputation. We don't have to worry about holding it together ourselves. We don't have to worry about the stumbles along the way. God is promising, not because of how competent we are, but because of everything that Jesus has done in the previous chapters. Now he is promising that the church, that God's people will spread and will be worldwide and will have success. And he says, don't worry, don't be ashamed. Don't be confounded. Don't, you, you're not going to be disgraced. The other thing that we have is the, 
the compassion of God. So like we get this, we have this new status. We have a promise of, of worldwide success in and through Christ Jesus. We have this new status and now we have the, the promise of the compassion of God. And he, he switches images. He goes from, from like the enlarging of a family and the possessing of the nations. He switches image to a marriage relationship. A marriage relationship. And it's interesting. Well, maybe it's not. It's not a, I'll put it this way. It's not a coincidence that in a marriage relationship, you have some of the most um, difficult things when, when things are broken, when things are uh, fall apart, when things do not go the way God had designed it to go. Uh, there's real pain and suffering there. Like that's, that's because this idea of the covenant of marriage, the way it's presented in scripture is that this is a, this intimate union between a man and a woman is meant to represent God's commitment and care and love for us. Like the best parts of a relationship between two people at its highest peak and its most intimate level is meant to give us just a tiny picture of the compassion and love and commitment that God has for you. And so that thing that's meant to represent who God is, when that thing is broken, it hurts. Because it has such an important place in, in how God is trying to communicate himself to us and how he cares for, loves us, has compassion for us. And he says that. This is, this is the new status. This is the new status of those who are the servants of the Lord. It says, the maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse six says, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth, which she has cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I have compassion on you. It's, um, I think as the, as the book of Isaiah kind of moves forward, it's talking about kind of grand worldwide. And we just, we just talked about the nations, you know, we weren't talking about something happening just sort of like in Israel. Um, and there's some historically relevant points as even as we work through prophecy, but but in this particular section, I really think what he's saying is he's talking about our separation from God himself that happened in the garden. Because of the fall, because of Adam rejecting God's law, his love, his care for him, he was cast out. And, and here we are, um, so many years later, dealing with broken things in the world. Here we are with relationships that are lame. Here we are with news articles that are just depressing. Here we are with things in the world not going right. And, and that, the, that's the result of that broken relationship between God and man. We were designed, we were created, we were intended to be holy and blameless and in the presence of God as, as we spread his glory and his goodness over all of creation. And because Adam rejected that, here we are. 
And, and God is telling us, he's, he's reminding us that because of everything that the servant has done, we're now in a new status that can't be changed. We're now in a new place. We're now in a unique place where his compassion for us can't be changed. It's permanent. And, and he says it like a, hand, like a couple of different ways. Like It's like reiterating the same point over again. He says, like, this is like the days of Noah to me as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you. Think about how you relate to God day to day, week to week. Is he ever annoyed with you? As the servants of Yahweh, as the servants of the Lord, our heritage, our new status, the thing that we have because of everything that Christ has done, as he looks at you and says, I will not be angry with you. I have sworn that I will not be angry with you. You have the compassion of God. And you can't lose that. And then he goes on to sort of make the point even more. Verse 10, he says, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love will not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Uh, we know that we suffer when marriage covenants are broken. God is reminding us that his intimate love, his desire to be near you, his compassion for you, his care for you as servants of the God put you in a status that won't change. The mountains will sooner disappear than God's compassion for you changes. That's what he says. Says the Lord, and he's like, let me just add this in here, verse 10, who has compassion on you? As servants of the Lord, your heritage is not only the promise of the world, the nations, but that his compassion is to and for you forever. His affections for you don't change. His desire, just like in marriage, is to be near and intimate with you. We also get encouragement from God. So as, as the... What's, what's the status that we're, what do we get out of being servants of the Lord? What's our heritage? We get the promise of God. We get the compassion of God. We get encouragement of God. Look at verse 11. He says, O afflicted one, storm tossed and not comforted. Storm-tossed and not comforted. That's quite a, uh, uh, I feel like that's not a hard internal mental image uh, to relate to. 
you know, uh, some of you might have felt storm-tossed and not comforted this morning. Um, but I would imagine that if we, as we reflect on our week or a month or, or things that maybe we're looking forward or not looking forward to, um, there are times where we, we feel storm-tossed and not comforted. And he gives us, he, so he's speaking to you. This is part of this, the, the status of the servants of God is that you get encouragement from God. He's speaking to you and he gives us this image of this beautiful city that's laid with stones um, and jewels in a way that's like sort of out of this world. You know, like, like we pour concrete foundations. We don't find a giant sapphire <laughs> to put under a house to like stand firm. You know, that's, so he's giving this like over the top abundant image of what he wants to provide for you. At the end of the book of Revelation, it kind of picks up on this, this imagery. But he's, he's, he's working, as, as, as servants of God, he's working to encourage you. And then he says, in all this abundance, says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And you might be thinking, um, I, don't, I don't have any kids, and if I do, I'm not worried about their peace because they run around, you, you know, you can put a shiny object in front of them, and all of a sudden, everything is fine. <laughs> um, sometimes. This is, this, he's, he's pulling back to the idea from before, the, like, the expansion of the family. He's looking at the community of God. He's looking at everyone in the community of God, and he's saying, all of you will be taught by God. God himself. God himself, because you are a servant of God, because you have this heritage, because you have this new status in and through Jesus Christ, God himself is your teacher. He is the one that leans in and shapes your life and moves to teach and encourage you in your day-to-day life. You. Not like the pastor, mostly, or, you know, the, the people that write the, the weightiest books or who, whatever person in history you think was cool. <laughs> you know? Like, he is saying to all of the servants of God, all of the children, all of those who, are, who have this new status, born again in Christ, he's saying, God will teach you personally. You get that. (laughs) Jesus picks up on this in John chapter 6. And I have a couple of verses on the screen. Forty-five, all right. He's arguing with the Pharisees as he does, um, or at least the Pharisees are trying to argue with him. And he's talking about everyone who comes to him because he's the bread of life. Like Jesus is communicating the reality that he is where you find fulfillment. And the Pharisees have a problem with that. And Jesus speaks to them and says, look, the father is the one who draws people to me. Like if you have a problem with people coming to me, 
to find life and rest and peace, uh, talk to the God you claim to, to know. And then he says, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And we sang about the reality that now and for all eternity, we, we say it's not because of what I've done, it's because of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. The fact that you see that, the fact that you recognize that, the fact that you would believe that Jesus is the reason why your relationship with the Father is good is because God has taught you that. God, the creator, the, most, the, the one who his desires and is the most intimately connected with you in a way that completely overshadows any potential relationship in this life. He has compassion for you. You, you are a servant of Yahweh and now your heritage is not just the nations. Your heritage is not just his 100% committed compassion and love for you. Your heritage is that God himself would come down and open your eyes to see the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. You get to be taught by God. It makes my job a lot easier. In all seriousness, you know, like the weight of how impactful the truths of what Jesus is saying doesn't fall on me, doesn't fall on Ben, doesn't fall on Cole. The spirit is the one who opens your eyes to see the beauty and the glory of Christ and draws you deeper and more intimately into that relationship. Because as the servants of Yahweh, part of your heritage is that God teaches you. He is working through his word to teach you and encourage you. We also get the power of God. And I think um, I, I sort of made, I thought, I, my intention was to make my way quickly through those first three. Because I think the last one maybe brings up some questions. And you may even have some questions as we've kind of walked through this. Um, and I hope to uh, address this a little bit. But he also, part of our status is that you and I have access to, have a sight for, have uh, comfort in the, the power of God. Look at what he says. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not for me, which makes sense because he just said, I promise not to be angry with you. I swear that I will not rebuke you. And so, so it's, it makes, kind of makes sense as he flows through the passage to say, if anyone stirs up strife, it's, it's not for me. If anyone's hassling you, it's not for me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Shall fall because of you. And, and he goes on to kind of make points. He's like, look, He's using the weapon analogy. He's like, I, I, I created the person in the process that makes weapons, you know? I, I created uh, the, everything involved with warfare has come, like I'm the one who designed and created and spoke these things into existence. So I, I know how 
to equip you, and I know how to empower you to, to, ha- to, to fulfill all of these things I've been sharing about. Like God is saying, I know how to empower you to draw near to me. I know how to empower you to understand my compassion. I know how to empower my church to have the nations. And he says an interesting thing in verse 17, after saying that no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Paul in Corinthians says that we destroy every stronghold. He's using the same sort of analogy and same sort of imagery here against the knowledge of God. I think what's being, what's being communicated here is that God is equipping us as his servants, as the ones who serve him, the ones who, who, who go out and uh, stand in this new status He's giving us his power to accomplish his purposes. And if that's the case, then every tongue that rises against you in judgment will fail. And I think, like my first thought is, I have said plenty of things where I have failed. (laughs) Like I've opened my mouth too much or in an inappropriate way or I've had to go back or... And, and, and so then my, my mind starts to spiral a little bit as I think about these things, is that God is giving, God, as a servant of Yahweh, God has given me the power of God. I like have this status. Why then, why then does it feel like regularly that I don't see this stuff? Why do I not feel comforted? Why do I not feel like God's people will be a success in the world? Like the church will spread, like the gospel will go from the ends of the earth. Why do I not, why do I feel so weak and powerless in so many situations? If this is the status that I have, if this is the status that I have. And I think that in a large part and this well let me just put it I'll put it as succinctly and I'll repeat myself a couple times I think regularly we feel that we don't have a measure of success or we don't have comfort we don't have God's compassion for us we don't have power from God is because of one thing flipped around We want God to give me the power. We want God to give me the success. We want God to show me compassion the way I want compassion to be shown to me. So God is merely a means to a different end. I want these benefits from God so that I can then get something less than God. That's what we want. And God is saying, I'm giving you these things so that you can have more of me. 
I'm showing you my compassion so that you can believe in who I am and my character and my goodness and my greatness. I'm showing you that you're weak so that you could see my power and what I can accomplish apart from you. And, and so much, it's just easy. We just do this. I think we do this. God is pouring out all the benefits of what Jesus has done. And we're like, yes, 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 yes. Now I'm going to go this direction because I have this plan for my life. It's like the benefits of the gospel are like our utility belt. That if something comes up, we can just pull out the thing that we need that we got from God so we can deal with X, Y, Z situation. And God's saying, no, no, I, I am making you my servant so that all of these things would draw you deeper and closer and more intimately into me, into who I am, so that you would see my compassion, my love, my care for you, so that when the care around you falls apart, you're just enamored with his compassion for you. Because that's what you want more of. When, when you feel weak and powerless and you're in a situation where you just fail, God is saying, that's because I want to, you to see me do things that you could never do. I want to demonstrate myself and my character and who I am to you. And if I equip you with all of these things, you will just be obsessed with how great you are. We should ask ourselves, when we think about the blessings of God or the heritage of the servants of Yahweh, are those things a means to an end or are those things a means to God? Those are really your only two choices. God has gifted you, united himself with you, encouraging you, empowered you, guaranteed your success so that you can worship him and enjoy him forever. <laughs> and if you think those things are for anything less than that, then you, you may not see it. You may not have eyes to see it because he's going in another place. <laughs> I think that you know, I was, I was rereading Ephesians this morning, and I, and I kind of want to end in this section because I think Paul, um, you know, he was saturated with the Old Testament. You know, I'd be curious the kind of training that he had, like how much of it was just straight memorized. Um, but in Ephesians, he writes a letter to, a, to churches broadly, basically, and I was struck by, in Ephesians chapter 1, how many good things that are, are, are sort of spoken about in Isaiah that Paul is reminding us that we, in Christ, now have. And so, so he spends like the whole first part of chapter 1 saying, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us and even before the foundation of the world was committed to us in Christ. So he's, he's just like, it's a whole section about God's promise to us. And then he goes on to say, he says, for this reason, 
I think that verse is up there. Okay. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which, which again, Jesus said, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus, it's because you've been taught by God. Those who draw near to Christ have been taught by God. So because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your, your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he's praying for the churches and he says, this is what he's praying for. He's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying that you and I would grow in the knowledge of God and who he is. A spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And he goes on, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The idea of inheritance and heritage are like, in, like inextricably linked. <laughs> heritage is more about like your status. But he's saying, this is, I want you to know what God has promised to you. <laughs> I want you to know in the saints, I want you to know as, you, as you're born new, as you stand in the servant, I, he's looking at the servants of God and he says, I want you to know what God has promised for you. And then he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness, immeasurable of his power towards us who believe? His immeasurable greatness of his power. He wants us to know that <laughs> towards us who believe. And then skipping ahead on verse 21, he says, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So we can talk about where things are landing in the future, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but Paul is specifically praying that the servants of Yahweh that they would understand what God has given them and that they would have a real experience of his immeasurable power even in this age, what he is capable of doing. I think, when I think about the fact that we have access to the power of God, and maybe I'll just speak from my own personal experience is I am more often than not, personally, more often than not, I'm caught up with what I believe God ought to do <laughs> just for myself. And I, I'm just, you know, we can just talk about Emmaus. We said, we said uh, in our covenant members meeting that we would love to see God grow our church. Wonderful thing. I would also love that. <laughs> we should pray for that. We should have a, a zeal to draw people into a community that cares for each other and loves for each other. It should be, but at the end of the day, we will be more impressed if he does that in a way that none of us contributed to or that none of us thought of, honestly. And we have an idea, and I don't, none of these things are like bad in and of themselves, right? Like, like we ought and we should like desire to share the goodness of God. And I want, I want that. But we have to be obsessed with how good he is in the first place. If we don't think he's working, we don't think he's powerful, we don't think he's up to something, and we're not like enamored with him, 
then other people are probably going to notice that. (laughs) And I think more often than not, we miss out on what God has given us because we either have an idea of what that should be or we see the good things that he has given us and we don't use them so we can enjoy more of God. We use them so we can enjoy more of other things. And maybe, you know, when I go down this road in my head, then I'm like, well, should all I do every day is like light a candle and pray and read my Bible for the whole day, you know, like just wait for him to like do stuff. And the answer is no. I think Paul like picks up on this like thought a little bit in chapter five. What verse did I start in? Verse eight, okay. This is like the letter has shifted to all these wonderful things about who God is to like where we stand in this, like kind of what do we do? And I like what he says here. He says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Your status has changed. (laughs) You, You now have a heritage. You, you now are in Christ, have all kinds of wonderful things from the Lord. And I love what he says, he goes, walk as children of light. And then there's this like parenthetical statement. So walk as children of light is like a way to say like, here's what you do basically. And the statement in verse nine says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. The fruit, like the results, like the, the outcome, the outcome of this new status is all that is good and right and true. There are a lot of things in this world that are good and right and true. (laughs) Like when you show up to work and email someone with grace and kindness, that's part of walking in light and all that is good and right and true. When you create something unique and new and beautiful, you're participating in light in all, all. It's like all that is good, right, and true. When you consider your neighbor next door, when you invite someone over for dinner and you have a great time, <laughs> like because of who we are, if our desire is to be more in the presence of God, if our desire is to behold his glory, if our desire is to see him and be transformed like him as we go out into the world as children of light, everything we do that is good and right and true is a reflection of who God is. And we're all in very different places for that. (laughs) You have opportunity when your children are spilling food all over the table to participate in imaging God in all that is good and right and true. You have opportunity when you're sitting at your inbox and looking at how big it is to participate in imaging God in all that is good and right and true. And I think that we're best equipped to see and to recognize and to know where he's working, where his power is at work, where he's demonstrating his compassion when when regularly you and I are spending time drawing closer and drawing nearer to God. 
Like that's why we show up here every Sunday. That's why God instituted the Sabbath at creation because he's like, even before the fall, I need you regularly to enjoy who I am so that when I, before there was even sin in the world, so I could send you out into the world to create everything that is good and right and true, you need to regularly be with me. How much more then do we need that now? And I think, I believe, and I pray for, and I am like committed to the idea that the more you and I see what God has given us, we have the compassion, we have the promise, we have the encouragement, we have the power, all of those things are of God. And the more we recognize that as from him, the more we see him, the more we enjoy him, the more we're thankful for him, the more we aim at him, we'll be very, very surprised at the ways that you and I produce more as children of light, of the good, the right, and the true. And, and I would imagine that your idea of what that should be might be different than his. Your idea of where he's gonna do that might be different than his, but you're not gonna know unless you draw near to him. You're not gonna know unless you use all the things that he has given you as a servant of the Lord to enjoy the, the Lord that you are a servant of. That has to be your end goal. That has to be the main aim of every aspect of your life. And I think, I believe, I know, I'll say it that way. He's promised that when you do that, you will see him work in crazy powerful ways. You will see his compassion demonstrated to you in ways that comes from no one else in your life. And you'll believe his promise that he, the tents will be enlarged and that the, as he says to Abraham, look up at the stars, can you number all of those? That's who's in the community. So just encourage you guys to Think about when you doubt or when you recognize. Think about the things that God has given you for the ultimate aim of drawing you closer to him. And when you do that, I think you're going to be really impressed with the ways in which you demonstrate as children of light, as the servants of the Lord, all that is good and right and true. So let's pray and ask for his help with that. God, we are so easily, I'm, I'm so easily distracted from who you are. I'm so easily drawn away from your good character, from your love for me, your promises, um, your wisdom. Lord, you, you made everything I experience every day and yet I don't think to go to you and consider your character first. Lord, I pray that you would use your spirit to draw us closer to you, that you would use the blessings that you have poured out on your church family, even this church family. You, you said that we're equipped with everything that we need in Christ Jesus, Lord. So I pray that you would use all of those things to draw us up more into the light into your good and glorious presence, Lord, so that we could 
reflect it so that we could trust you, so that we could see your power work in a way that was amazing. In your name I pray, amen.